Jeff, it is another week. We are not in person together because of some un- circumstances that have popped up over the last mm-hmm. couple of days. Different reasons for both of us. Um, but I am currently, we're in the same state for the same first time recording. So we're inching our way closer, right? Like at first we were in the same country. Then we worked our way to being in the same time zone. Now we're in the same state. And hopefully next time I'm in Utah, we will, you know, we'll be able to get in person. Well, we're actually, we're going to the bees game on Thursday, tomorrow night. So mm-hmm. that will, we will be in person together, just not recording. It but, is weird to think about that, that this is, I think this marks the year. Sometime this month is the year anniversary of the first Give Em Hell Brigham show. And uh, we still yet to ever do one in person. Yeah. Which is wild to me. We've never, ever actually met in person, period. Yeah, that's true. Mind-blowing, really. Um, let's see, when did... Yeah, so it was uh, It was about this... It was this week last year. Uh, it was when we first talked about it. I was going through my own notes. And then, you know, next week would be the actual, you know, anniversary of our first episode. But one thing I've noticed this week is anytime you travel for work, it's like, you're going to gain 20 pounds. Like, I do not understand how people that are like sales guys that are constantly going to different conventions and different things like that. Like, how do you not gain so much weight eating out all the time? Usually like if they're not LDS, they're usually drinking a good amount, which, you know, there's no shortage of calories there. And then you're Mm -hmm. stuck with like a, a hotel fitness center, which is like, here's a beat up dumbbell and a broken treadmill. Right. Like, I don't understand how those dudes manage to stay so skinny. So I have never met a sales guy that wasn't like the kind of guy that pounds protein shakes every morning when they wake up. Now, that's not to say that they like are working out every day, but like truthfully, I don't think I've ever met a sales guy. Sales women are a little bit different, but the sales guys that I've met uh, are the kind of guys that I don't think eat unless they're with the client. If they're not with the client, I think they're they're drinking slim fasts and meal replacement shakes and that's what they do. Mm, so maybe it's just it's sort of basically like intermittent fasting like they're just doing one meal a day. Yeah. It's like Well, you, think about you, it. Think have you ever seen in the wild a sales guy eating a meal on his own? You have no. No. No, I don't think they do. So that's how, that's my guess. If you're a sales guy, and I'm certain that there are sales guys who are listening to the show, tell us how you eat. And if you're a fat sales guy, identify yourself. I am a fat podcast host and I'm proud of it. So identify yourself, fat sales guys, and let us know how difficult the struggle really is because I get it. I'm with you. I'm sure it's tough. Yeah. And we do, uh, I also do want to throw out the disclaimer there that, you know, I did not bring my normal headset because uh, we were planning on getting together and doing this in person and would have some other microphone situ- setups. But here I am just using my laptop and that's all I have. So apologies to the to our loyal listeners for the poor audio quality. I've actually have no idea what this is going to sound like. So I mean, maybe we'll I even sound better and I need to apologize. Who knows? No, everyone hated on how I sounded until I got we got the matching headsets. So mm, well. Well, then, apologies for you. But but you're right. Biggest... Food food on work trips is is weird. I had 
uh, today with my kids. I it was Cinco de Mayo. It is Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. I went to Del Taco, and I love Del Taco. That's a, a, a discussion for another day. But the reason I'm thinking of this is I once work once worked with a vendor who the I guess I, I, whatever it is like the client representative or whatever the account manager of this particular vendor and and my company. She was from Texas and she loved Del Taco, which was weird to me because if you're from Texas and she was from like Austin, so not like south, you know, right on the border, but southern Texas compared to other places. And she loved Del Taco. Those were her favorite tacos, which just blew my mind because you're in Texas. You got access to way better tacos than Del Taco. But she would come to Utah and she would get Del Taco every time, which fine understood you have a restaurant you like happens to be del taco a little weird for me but okay but no garrett this is where it gets weird this woman would fill up her carry-on with chicken soft tacos because in her mind the meat from chicken soft tacos was already full of enough preservatives that it was okay so she would fill a carry-on. This is not a lie. This is not an embellishment in any way. She would fill a carry-on with chicken soft tacos and take them back with her to Texas and then put them in a fridge or whatever and did reheat not, them. Do they not have those at the Del Tacos in Texas? Well, they don't have a Del Taco in Texas. Oh, the, okay. That so that, that was sense. the issue. But those Del Taco tacos, like those are like 89 cents. It is... The, the chicken soft taco, it's one of my favorite things. We've talked about it forever. It's one of my favorite just like filler side meals. But I am not traveling to another state and going to get it. It's not that good. No. The chicken was... soft tacos I had tonight, like I honestly was, uh, as I was eating it, like, I know this is supposedly chicken, but it sure tastes like tuna because it might be, it might've been tuna. I don't know. Or rotten. It's not worth. It's or probably rotten. just spoiled. I think tuna yeah. and spoiled chicken are kind of the same thing. <laughs> could have been, could have been spoiled. But this lady, she would travel to Utah, grab chicken soft tacos from Del Taco to fill a carry on. I mean, think about it. You got to order like 100 chicken soft tacos. And she would carry them onto the plane, fly them home to Texas. Uh, at one point, her flight got delayed in Utah. She came to a, a, for a winter visit a few years ago, had crazy snow, and then her flight got delayed. So she had the chicken soft tacos in that bag overnight. And then took them home the next day and still put them in the fridge and lived her life after she got there. What a strange, strange world we live in. <laughs> it is strange. But the I, we do have reason to celebrate, though, because, well, it's a reason to celebrate for different reasons. I guess for some people it may not be reason to celebrate, but mm -hmm. as of yesterday, PPP is done. The payroll protection program is on its, it's in its waning hours. They're just kind of processing through what's left, trying to get everyone who's been assigned, like approved, is waiting for their money. But it, in pure bureaucratic fashion, the timeline was such, and I don't know how much, because you guys shut yours off a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we, right? we, we were like uh, four or five weeks ago, and then we just processed anything with an SBA number, but didn't take any new. Right. Loans. So... Friday, the SBA put out a press release saying, still tons of money. We're right on track to finish up at the end of the month. There's about $25 billion left. Sat over the weekend, 
an industry, like a banking industry group, you know, they're like, well, we've been calling around to different banks and kind of piecing together other reports about who's, you know, cause everyone's trying to hype themselves about how much volume they're doing and whatever. And they're uh-huh. like, our back of the napkin math, there's not enough money. Like it's close to gone. And so then Tuesday morning, yesterday morning at like seven o'clock mountain time. So 10 a.m. or, you know, nine Eastern SBA uh-huh. puts out another thing. No, over the weekend, there were reports that there was a lot of money. This is not true. There's still money available, blah, 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 blah. Uh, five o'clock Eastern tomorrow. So like six hours later, whatever they say, uh, actually there is no more money. Please turn off your application immediately. It's gone. <laughs> we ran out. So somebody, oh, have, have you ever had the experience where you're like, no, yes. Like we checked it. We triple checked it. We promised this is right. And then you go back and you're like, yeah, we should have quadruple checked it and then had like six extra sets of eyes <laughs> look at it first. That was one of those yeah. situations. Well, you know, credit to the SBA. And I, I mean this in sincerity. Uh, the SBA was not designed to do the volumes that they have done in the last nowhere eight close, months. nowhere we- near it. And so there were a, a significant amount of hurdles and stumbling blocks along the way. But all things considered, of all the things that the government has done, I have to consider the PPP program. While frustrating for those of us at financial institutions who are in the midst of it, I do think it was pretty successful, all things considered. Given the given the foundation and the infrastructure that they were working with and the way that it rolled out in the end, I think it they did a pretty decent job. Yeah, it wasn't it could have well, it was constantly changing. It definitely could have been oh, worse, yeah. but it could but have been given, worse, could have been better. It, yes. But it, yes, but it, it wasn't. I don't know. It, it wasn't the end of the world. Yes, it wasn't the end of the world. It helped a lot of people, and you know, it was, it was good for a lot of. It was good for a lot of people. So. It was really good on a personal level for me, uh, because not because I was a recipient, but our bank. We were not an SBA lender at all, so we had never processed a single SBA loan on our own. Uh, and we ended up doing, and we're a small bank, we ended up doing like $500 million in loans, which was, I mean, it was an increase of like 50% of our total assets under management. So it was a pretty significant uh, chunk for us. Uh, but because of the fees and the whatever else that the banks get, I got a pretty hefty bonus, which came at a great time. So buying a house, building a house. And I don't know if you guys have seen the price of lumber, but 100% of my hefty bonus can now go to buying a bunch of wood. So great. What else do you need? I mean, yeah, it's it. the, yeah, the price of materials is insane right now. And almost as insane as the price tag on Zach Wilson's contract or what it's going to be. Woo! Hot dog, $35.1 million fully guaranteed is what brother Wilson is going to get. And that is... I, well, I don't want to say this because I don't know for certain, but I think it's tithe free, you know. So he gets thirty five point one million dollars, not thirty five point one less than ten percent. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of things I would do for that much money. Like everything yeah. has its price, right? And yeah. there's a lot I would do for thirty five million dollars. And he, 
it was awesome just last week uh you know it's we debated do we want to do a draft like do we want to do an episode recapping on thursday night we're like no because everyone's like it's late everyone's just gonna be watching it and then we'll see kind of what happens through the weekend and then we didn't sunday night we were like you know i was traveling so we didn't do a re- like a recap after everyone started signing so this is officially this epic episode is dedicated to recapping the draft but it very much feels like Zach Wilson, and maybe this is just my bias because obviously I see more Zach Wilson related things than any other player, is kind of going to be the poster boy of this draft. Like he's yeah. in New York, he's kind of like he's got the baby face Disney Channel look to him. Like his personality is much more conducive to doing you know, being out there and on a thing like that than Trevor Wilson or not Trevor Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, who just kind of like, you know, nothing against Trevor Lawrence, right? Like he just keeps to himself. And that's kind of like, he does this thing. Like he's not, Trevor Lawrence isn't out there with that influencer vibe that Zach Wilson carries. Well, and uh, the city of New York has evidently fallen in love with uh, one Mrs. Wilson. So she's also helping attract a lot of attention. And I think that is why she will, or you're right, that Zach will become the poster boy of the, of the draft because it isn't just draft that the Jets, or it isn't just Zach that the Jets drafted. They also drafted his mom and she is, she's gained like 12,000 Instagram followers. And so like, she's, she's becoming part of the Jets family for better or worse. She's becoming part of the Jets family. And so, yeah, it, it does sort of feel like, uh, it's the beginning. Like we're in the, the, the we're in the growth. Like the seed has sprouted. It's not a full on like rose bush yet, but like we're starting to get like a bunch of budding flowers into Zach Wilson, the celebrity. We've seen Zach Wilson, the football player, but we are we're inching closer to Zach Wilson, the celebrity, and even Steve Young, I don't think ever really reached that celebrity status. Maybe he did. Maybe I'm too young to really remember him in his heyday. I don't know but that he was. Well, I mean, outside of Jordan and like Bo Nose and Deion Sanders, there weren't really just the amount of, you know, right. Superstar. Di- yeah. It just was different 20, back then. 20 years ago that there, there wasn't social media. You didn't have access to everybody all the time. Like you had access to what they did on the field and when they did a press conference. And if they weren't seeking out press attention, it wasn't there, but we are. So I think in, for the first time, I think we are going to have a BYU football celebrity who is in the NFL. And uh, that's going to be different. It's going to be very, very different. It's going to change the life of all of the Wilson family. And uh, it will be fascinating. I'm excited. I couldn't help but feel like pride when he w- walked out on that stage. Like he's our own, you know, Zach is he, we, we, we helped raise Zach, the BYU child, and now he is off to bigger and better things. And I feel like we were a part of that. I mean, I know we weren't at all, but it felt like all BYU fans were a part of that. Yeah, it really is. And it's, I mean, talking about all of the nicknames, which of the proposed nicknames, like I've seen people say Broadway Zach, which I think is dumb. Like that's Broadway Joe. You can't, it needs to come up. I think Zach's Fifth Avenue is great. Uh, I saw someone say Goldman Z- Goldman Zach's. Yeah, Rich Eisen was pushing that one hard on draft day. 
I, there I was don't, the fourth one, but I don't remember what it was. I haven't fallen in love with any of them. They all feel a little too punny for me. And so I, I just can't get on board yet. I can, I can respect that. It is, it is kind of quick where it's like, everyone's like, Oh, we have to come up with an anchor. What about this one? Like it was yeah, like, yeah, it's like a, a brainstorm for a new product that they were launching, not a nickname, which yes. like naturally happens. I did like the headline on the back of, I can't remember which one it was, if it was the daily news or the post, but uh, the playbook of Mormon. I thought that was pretty, pretty good. That, that is a good one. Um, Except he's, but I think it's neither. I mean, whatever. No, nobody knows. <laughs> There's conflicting reports. Um, nobody knows. Well, God knows, but it doesn't matter. That's what, that, and, that's what matters. Um, and <laughs> So I think it, the awesome thing is, you know, cause we kind of heard all off season about, you know, especially once Sully got hired, how like the jets, this was finally it. They had the right people in the building with the new GM and offensive staff, like whatever they're doing, everything. And it was going to be very clear to tell what was going to go, like what was going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Because the, um, you know, cause you could tell by the draft, okay, are they actually going about this the right way? And it, you know, picking, uh, you know, picking everyone knew obviously Wilson first, but then going out and, you know, drafting Elijah Moore, like probably one of, if not the fastest receivers and one of the best route runners in the draft who can absolutely like can step in and play right away and getting trading up to get Elijah Vera Tucker, like getting him a great lineman to go with Mikai um, Becton, who they drafted last year, who was also a good lineman. Like it's, they went and aggressively got pieces to help Zach Wilson, right? Like they yeah. drafted yep. first four picks. It was like, okay, we got a quarterback. We got a lineman. We got a receiver. We got a running back. Like we got what we need to kind of fix this. And we're not going to throw them out here compared to if you look at the, you know, their 2018 draft class when they drafted Sam Darnold, it's like, look, if you're going number oh, number three overall and you need a quarterback, like you need more than a quarterback, right? Uh-huh. Then it was first round pick, Sam Darnold. Third round, D, a, a defensive lineman from a division two school. Fourth round, <laughs> tight end. Sixth round, corner. Sixth round, D-line. Seven, sixth round, a division two running back Uh, the jets man they they had they gave sam darnold nothing nothing and i think sam darnold's gonna go to carolina and be spectacular and you're gonna immediately hear that well the jets didn't need zach wilson they should have just kept darnold but i i think he was broken in new york and i think zach is is zach of the new regime you're exactly right they're gonna come in it's a new start. They're doing it the right way. It's going to take some time. They can grow together. I love it. I absolutely love Zach in New York. And I think Sam Darnold is still very good. And I think he's going to be very good in, with, with Carolina and an, a functional team. He hasn't had a functional team. And that's why most BYU fans were so like, ah, no, don't send Zach to the Jets. That's the equivalent of, of Jimmer going to the Kings, right? Like it's just kind of a perennial bad team. But it does feel like the Jets have finally got it figured out. Um, the only question or caveat, I guess, at this point is, will the New York media allow them the, the requisite time to get through the, 
the growing pains because there's right. going to be growing pains for at least this year. And I think everybody's conceded that, but probably next year too. And is the New York media going to be willing to stick with this, this plan for two solid seasons? Right. My heart and, says they should because they've sucked for 40 years and been okay with it. What's two more seasons, but you never know. Right. And it is New York. And so I'm looking again. So even after that bad first year, 2019, they had the third round pick again. They go defensive tackle, edge, offensive tackle, tight end, linebacker, cornerback. They gave <laughs> Sam Darnold nothing to work with. Was that Makai Becton that year? Was that the offensive tackle? Uh, no, that was Chuma Idoga from. Oh yeah, see. Okay. And then Makai um, Becton's a freak. Yeah, Makai. Yeah, he is insane. So last year they got Makai Becton. And they got Denzel Mims from Baylor, who actually will go well. And then a safety, Cal, defensive end, LaMichael P. Ryan. So they got running back. Florida international quarterback. Mm. And then uh, a cornerback and a, a punter. So like – uh, Yeah, I don't – they just the, – their draft strategy has just been so bad for so long. Like who cares – I, I don't know. My opinion is like if you are so bad – just and you're gonna draft a quarterback. Like if you're drafting a franchise quarterback, you need to mail it in on defense for the next two seasons. Like next two drafts, you just gotta mail it in on defense because you need to protect your quarterback and give him weapons at all costs, and that will sell tickets. Like that can provide the flicker of hope that your fan base <laughs> needs to forgive. Like if you're losing games 35 to 31 every week. Your fans will be okay. They'll just like, we just got to tie up the defense a little bit. Like our offense is good now. We just need a couple defensive ads and then we'll be fine. And fans will be well, okay and, with that. And it's easier to go find, even in like free agency, to go find plug and play defenders than it is plug and play quarterbacks, plug and play offensive line. That's tough to do. So I'm with you. I love the fit. I do like Sam Darnold in Carolina and I like him more knowing that Brady Christensen is going to be among those protecting him now Carolina Brady Christensen went 70th overall to the Panthers uh the guy's gonna have a chance to play now I'm fascinated to see where Brady ends up at the next level like there's been lots of talk about like oh well he's gonna kick inside and it's been lazy because I think that most of the the analysts or whoever is projecting that are saying that he's unathletic they'll throw him inside well clearly they haven't watched film uh, clearly they didn't pay attention at pro day. Like he is an elite athlete and Matt rule, uh, the head coach of the Panthers talked about that a ton in, in his post draft press conference about Brady Christensen. But what Christensen does lack is I think the average, uh, the average arm length for, so the average, not even the, the biggest, the average arm length for an, uh, an offensive tackle in the NFL is like 33 and a half inches. And, Brady is closer to like 32 and a half. So he's a full inch shorter. Why does that matter? Um, he might struggle with the quick defensive ends in the NFL without that little bit of extra length. I know that seems like one inch. What could that really matter? Well, really the elite tackles are the Makai Becton's we just talked about that are freaks of nature and are just these crazy long athletic bodies. So Christensen might kick inside and play at guard in Carolina, and he's got a really good opportunity to play right away. At Carolina, 
Uh, they just franchise tagged their right tackle, whose name is escaping me. But the left tackle spot is pretty wide open, and both guard spots are pretty wide open. So Brady's got a chance to play. I'm excited about him and that fit in Carolina. I think that uh, the idea of Brady Christensen blocking for Christian McCaffrey is really, really cool for me. Yeah, especially from, I mean, Brady Christensen, that is my eating crow recruit of. Yeah, you and me and everybody else. You know, because his, he got offered by BYU the night before signing day. He was committed to Air Force at the time. He was a 245 pound tackle who played at Bountiful and nobody was recruiting him. Yeah, right? he like played the, center center field for their baseball team that year. Right. That that was, it the was like only... why why are we offering a baseball outfielder as an offensive lineman? Like nobody, right. including BYU, saw him developing into what he became. Right. And so it was kind of like this is really and especially when he came around and signed, it was in that like 2013, 2014, which oh boy, that 2013 class, we could write a novel about how bad that class was. <laughs> But it was in that era, especially where it was like juggling the missions. And it was really the start of the roster mess that we've been in for the last few years because of the glut of people that all went on a mission at the same time with the age change and how that affected everything. And so it's, you know, it it has caused, you know, I'm very happy for him, um, you know, that he gets to go and especially what he grew into. And it really was, I mean, a, just a project that was like, you have a frame, you know, it's time we can slap a bunch of weight on you. And it's almost like, it's almost like, well, he was a less hype version of Blake Freeland, right? Like the quarterback who grew into a tackle, but at least like Blake Freeland was like six, seven as a freshman in high school. Like he knew he wasn't going to play quarterback at the next level, but he was athletic enough to slap weight on. And and Brady, man, like, like I say, even BYU didn't believe that Brady Christensen was going to become what he is. Otherwise they would have prioritized him really early. Remember Brady Christensen was BYU was recruiting Zachariah Hoyt, who ended up signing with Virginia Tech. He committed to Virginia Tech uh, like two or three days before signing day during the dead period. Uh, that was prior to the, the early signing period. So I guess the, the dead period at the end of the month of January uh, was when Zach Hoyt committed to Virginia Tech. BYU thought they were getting Zach Hoyt. Uh, there was no real connection. He was from Virginia. I can't remember how BYU even came in touch with them, but at the time they were the only offer Pitt came in and they offered late and Virginia tech offered late and late, 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 late in the process, Zach Hoyt decided that he was going to stay home and go to Virginia tech. Had that not happened, BYU doesn't even look at Brady Christensen. Like Zach Hoyt committed BYU offered Christensen that, you know, next day or two. And then Christensen flips from Air Force to BYU. So even BYU wasn't sold on Brady Christensen. He was very much their plan B going into that final week of signing day. So kudos to Brady Christensen for all of the hard work that he came in. Kudos. I thought about this when Ryan Pugh, um, he came back to Twitter after he, he's no longer at Troy. And we haven't talked about this at all, but after the, uh, the mess that, came out of his past and cancel culture and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ryan Pugh kind of went on a Twitter hiatus that the last thing he tweeted was his apology. So he came back to Twitter and tweeted about Brady Christensen after he was drafted. And I remember that it was Pugh who elected or named Brady Christensen, the starting left tackle after he got home from his mission in 2018 as a freshman. And I think every BYU fan was like, what? 
the, the this, 240 pound rem- center fielder. What? I remember being, uh, I remember being very worried about the offensive line that season because yeah. of that. And uh, credit to coach Pew, coach Grimes, and, and obviously to, to Brady Christensen, because man, they sure proved everybody, including BYU, very, very wrong and nearly made fools out of, out of everybody here locally who looked over Christensen and passed on him. And glad BYU was able to swoop in there at the end. Garrett, last week on the show, we were, we were pretty adamant, like pretty, pretty darn positive that there would be five BYU players drafted. And going into the final 10 picks of the draft, I think it was right about then that you text me and said, well, looks like we were off because uh, it was even, there was no it was way. even before then. It was like in the sixth round. I was like, dude, there's no way three, t- three guys going from the same thing in the last like 50 or so picks. Like, no, that's not happening. And then yeah. it ended up being in the last 10 picks, which has never happened before. Yeah. That was the most never happened by one, by one school in the last 10 picks of the draft. It was crazy town the way that it all went down. First was number 250, Kyrus Tonga to the Bears. Uh, with these seventh round draft picks, it's really hard for me to really talk about like their fit and, you know, really look at the roster projection and are they going to start like, you know, like you do with Zach or Brady Christensen. These seventh round picks, like they're fighting for roster spots. There are more seventh round, more people who were drafted out of the 30, however many there were after compensatory picks the 30 however many that were drafted in the seventh round more of them will be waived and end up on practice squads than there will that actually end up on the roster so for these guys for for tonga for chris wilcox dax milne it's all about making the 53-man team and i have no idea where kairos tonga sits i know that he is in the best shape that he's ever been in it feels like we say that about this time every year but he's in great shape right now going into to, into the summer where he's going to have OTAs and whatever else. Um, he brings something that I, I think most NFL teams don't have just at his size and what he can potentially do. I like that his chances, but man, if he slips up once, right? Like if he, that's how close it is for a guy like that. If he shows up and he's five pounds heavier and he gets tired on the fourth play of a drive, they'll probably cut him and uh, he'll have to fight it out on a, on a practice squad. Yeah. They, it, and it's always, it's the same thing with Kyrus Tong, right? Like, and it's, I think a lot of fans, BYU fans specifically were really hyped into him, especially because, you know, he started getting some draft buzz after his freshman season because that was kind of wrapped around similar to Brady Christensen, where it was like, this dude just got home from a mission. He's playing in a new position right? Like he's put on a bunch of weight. He's athletic for his size. Like we can go somewhere with this, but then where Brady kind of kept going off the charts, you know, and then ended up leaving early and being a third round draft pick. Kyrus kind of stayed the same. Like he wasn't much better as a senior than he was as a freshman. And so it's, I do, I do have to admit, he really does. He really has to to make every opportunity that he gets. I don't mean to cut you off. I feel like I am responsible for the the buzz the hype i was leading the charge of kairos tonga hype it was a worthy so charge. this is this is my fault i mean he did get drafted so in, in the end i am sort of i was sort of right 
but also I was very wrong. So this is my fault, and I take ownership. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, right? Like when you saw him chase down that one play from the LSU game, his freshman year, it was like, mm-hmm. okay, this dude can do something. But then, you know, it, then it was kind of that same, just that same thing that we kept talking about, right? Like it's, he can't stay on the field. For, he's not an every down defensive lineman. He gets tired. He's out of shape, right? Like, and so it's, he's got to get over that hump and hopefully similar to, um, you know, hopefully similar to uh, Michael Davis and what he was able to do, right? As the, you know, what he was able to do as, um when he got into the NFL and kind of was like, I have to turn it on. Like I got my shot. I have to take, make the most of it. I hope Kyrus can do that. Cause if he does, he has the talent to stick, but whether he, but so does everybody else who is, you know, if you are drafted, you have the talent to play in the NFL and you have the talent to stick, but it's all about circumstance. Will your body hold up? You know, do you have the drive to just outwork everybody else, whatever. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what's with him. I think of these three, that last drafted Tonga Wilcox and Milne, I'd say Wilcox probably has the best chance to make it just because of his speed. If he's willing to go out and hit people and play special teams, they can use that in a lot of different places where, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like, like Milne can't be like, if you're looking at a special team or like Chris Wilcox and Dax Milne are kind of the more or less the same size, right. Kind of same build, but where Chris Wilcox is two tenths of a second faster on his 40, you're going to keep that. If you're going to keep a special teamer, it's going to be that guy. And so Milne has to, he really has to just find a way to separate himself and just play really well every chance he gets just simply because there's a lot of dudes who run a high four, five, 40 and are six, one and weigh 205 pounds, right? Like it's, it's like copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste for every, all those guys. And, you know, and so it's, they got to find a way to break out. Yeah, I agree. And the other side of it, and this is what goes into it with the NFL that you don't worry about in college. Um, the Bucks have signed everybody from their Super Bowl team. They brought everybody back. Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, like all of these guys are back. And their, their cap situation, they're going to really like a seventh round pick on a non-guaranteed draft or a non-guaranteed contract on that roster because they're going to need every dollar's worth of cap space that they can possibly get. So I, I agree with you. I like, I like that spot for, for Chris Wilcox. And they really were kind of a secondary needy team towards the end of last year, that if there was one weakness, I mean, they won the super bowl, there weren't many, but if there was one weakness, it was the secondary depth overall Uh, for Dax Milne over at Washington. There's about 12 receivers on that roster right now. Even after they waived a couple earlier this week, uh, I think there are 12, there are 11 or 12 that are left over. So they're going to have to, like Milne's still got his work cut out for him. There's only going to be six or seven wide receivers left on that roster when the season comes around. I think Milne has the skills. Like nobody's been higher on Dax Milne than I have. I think he has the potential to do it. But uh, you're right. The margin for error is very, very small. Yeah. Um, and it'd be, I think there's also a good chance of that. I mean, he gets cut, he ends up on a practice squad, and then, you know, his injuries, he could be like the first guy that's pulled up either by him or pulled by a different team similar to how Taysom was um, pulled mm-hmm. off of the Packers practice squad. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. For some reason in my head, I see Dax Milne ending up with the Raiders. 
Like I know everybody wants to make the Bill that's, Belichick always going to. That's end up because in Hunter Renfro, white. Hunter Renfro plays for the Raiders, and Hunter Renfro is, that what is, it is? Dax Milne. That's why. Is I, that what I, it is? I'm, it just feels like Dax Milne is a Raider to me. That's where he's going to go. So I'm calling yeah. my shot now. Look, I know he was drafted by the WTF WFT, but he's going to end up playing for the Raiders. I don't know how, I don't know when, but he will be a Raider. I can support that. Um, and he may also be a Raider with Matt Bushman. So going through, if you've been living under a rock, going through our non-undrafted free agents, Isaiah Kafusi with the Colts, Matt Bushman with the Raiders, Tristan Hodge also with the Jets, Zane Anderson getting the token BYU signee from Andy Reid, uh, hmm. Chandon Herring with the Titans, Zach Dahl with the Falcons, Troy Warner with the Rams, and Kavika Fanua got a mini camp invite from the Titans. So not an actual camp, just a mini camp invite, not an actual contract. Has there ever been, and I don't want to like crap on Kavika Fanua because awesome for him. Has there ever been a BYU player that you can remember that made an NFL roster after receiving a mini camp invite? I don't know that there's ever been an NFL player ever. That's made a roster after being a mini camp, but I don't know that I've ever heard of one. Like I'm sure it's happened, but it does not happen very often if it does. So he's got an uphill battle of those eight guys. I like Tristan Hodge and the jets. I think he's got a chance to stick. And I, I like, I, I don't know, Zane Anderson and the chiefs, like it's lazy almost, but it feels like Zane Anderson and, and Danny Sorensen, like that's what Andy Reid's hoping to do, right? Like, okay, Danny's getting a little bit older. Well, here's new Danny, but they're different players, different size. And one of them is injured, like every third tackle that he makes. So right. it's, it's going to be tricky to, for Anderson to replicate what Danny Sorensen did, but that's got to be the hope, right? Yeah. And I just, I don't, I, I don't really see it. I honestly thought that Zane Anderson would be the kind of kid that like that Zane Anderson would get a mini camp invite. I think if it I wasn't, I thought the, the injuries Chiefs, killed him. Yeah. And if it, the only reason he got the contract, like an actual undrafted free agent contract is because of, you know, is because it is Andy Reed. Um, I think <laughs> he signed these, fast. Like it made it feel yeah. like he was a priority, which surprised me. I think he might've even been the first one of these guys to officially he, be announced. He was, yeah, he was, which was, first. which was weird. Um, so I, I do. I like Tristan Hodge sticking with the jets. They, they need help with the offensive line and, and, and Hodge when he's healthy, he can do it. And I also like uh Chandon Herring with the Titans, kind of the same story. Titans need some depth and Chandon Herring would be cheap and versatile. I thought he'd be drafted. I think he sticks with the jets or with the uh, Titans. I think either, I, either way, Hodge and Herring at a minimum, they will both stick on the practice squad I mean, Hodge, he's had his injury problems. If it wasn't for his injury history, he would have been drafted in the sixth or seventh round. Um, mm-hmm. Herring, he, Herring just really didn't develop into his own until last year, but he was still the sixth guy. So it's like he just needs to prove that he can hang and be the guy, and then he can. The biggest shocker for me here is Zach Daw, and nothing against Zach Daw, and actually has nothing to do with Zach Daw. But it was reminding me, Zach Daw, given his production at BYU, gets an undrafted free agent contract, but Jan Jorgensen, after leaving as the Mountain West all-time leading, all-time sack leader, did not get even a minicamp invite, and that is still the most bizarre thing to me in the history of BYU football related to the NFL. 
I will never yeah. understand it. No, never. Like Another not one even a understand. single team. Like because so many Jake guys. Caressa. Like, Jake Caressa. I mean, he got a sniff. Like I think he was with the Dolphins in a mini camp, but that was it. Uh, it was the Saints. So I've actually I talked to Jake about this once. Um, when and he and we were just talking about the NFL in general, kind of what it was like. I. I don't remember where I was, I was eating somewhere with him. And so this is actually kind of similar to my thought of this while you were with Hodges. So he played really well in their, like he played in like their first one or two preseason games. And then they said, Hey, you're in a really good spot to make the roster. Like we like you, whatever. And then they kind of came down and then they had also drafted a, another lineman in the third round that year. And basically it came down to they, you know, the, the position coach said, you know, we're not going to put you in as much the last few preseason games because you've already proven, you know, and we want to keep you. But then the GM said, well, I'm not having this egg on my face of keeping the undrafted free agent and cutting the third mm-hmm. rounder because that makes us look bad. And so Jake got cut and he had very little film because they were like, no, dude, we're basically penciling you as in the two deep. Right. And then it kind of, then it was like, okay, do I want to play the practice squad game and bounce around whatever? Or, you know, I've already had a couple injuries. My body's not, you know, holding up the way it was like, is this something I really want to do? And he, you know, and then it kind of fizzled fizzled out from there, but it is, there is also kind of similar to what you're saying about milk, like the bucks with, you know, it's not like a mill where the wide receivers there's, they already have a ton of wide receivers on their roster. Wilcox, they are short on cap space. So they may be willing to cut a more veteran guy to keep the younger guy. If you're going to be lower on the depth chart, but then you also have to juggle. Like it's not, if you just go out and are clear cut, the best guy, if it's like, it's got to be really clear cut that you are good to be on the team as an undrafted free agent, because if it's close and it's like, uh, we can mask this, like we don't want to, you know, it's like, I mean, obviously like Jake wasn't in there, like, you know, being a pro bowler, right. At, mm-hmm. Out the gate. Right. And so it's like, oh, you know, they may have thought he was better, but if it's marginal, they're going to go with the guy that they drafted in the second, third, fourth round, because it makes them look better than cutting that guy or putting that guy it's on the a, bench and having the undrafted free agent start. It's a different game, man. Like the NFL is different and it sounds so obvious, but it is, it's a business and the business is more than just wins. And uh, that is one of the biggest changes when you, when you go from college to the NFL is it's all about wins. I was thinking about this as we were talking about Zane Anderson and, you know, obviously there's the connection and the comparisons to Danny Sorensen, Danny Sorensen, like, look, Zane might be a BYU guy and Zane, you know, Danny might've helped Zane throughout his career. I don't know, but Zane is being brought onto that team to take Danny Sorensen's job and Danny Sorensen, is making millions of dollars where Zane Anderson is making peanuts relative to what, what Danny Sorensen is making. Uh, if it's close, the chiefs probably would love to cut Danny Sorensen because they also are tied on cap space and go with the guy who's close and is making peanuts. So is and, Danny Sorensen going to want to help Zane Anderson, right? Like he's gunning right. for his job. It's well, going to be fascinating. And it comes down to also, it's like that balance of, you know, the cap space of it's not when you're in a college, right? It's just, you have 85 scholarships. It's everyone's the same. If you find a guy who's poorly recruited and they come in and play right away, it's like, wow, you did a great job, you know, diamond in the rough Yeah. on the flip side in the NFL. It's like, 
you have a very limited amount of draft picks to use. And you got to, you know, you spend hours and millions of dollars scouting these guys. You work them out in person. You have way more access to everything that they could have ever need. You've seen their body develop because they're full, you know, they're done growing by the time they're coming into the draft, all this stuff. And it's like, if you whiff on that, then it's a lot more egg on your face. Like it's not the same, right? Because it's not all scholarships are created the same, but not all draft picks are created equally. And yeah. on the same side of that, it's like Danny Sorensen, like, yes, Danny Sorensen is a good player. That's why he's played in the NFL for as long as he has and why he's, you know, got no slouch of a contract. You know, he's a multimillionaire and has had a very, very nice NFL career. He's had an above average NFL career, but he's also on the back end of that career and is costing the Chiefs a lot of money. And he's a good player, but he's not a pro bowler, right? Like his career has been better than like, you know, Aaron Francisco, we talked about last week, but he's not Ed Reed. And so if you're getting paid, you know, it gets to that point where it's like, okay, well, we're willing to take the dip in production because we want to balance the cap space elsewhere. And it's, it's just that whole management of it can lead to some weird things. Um, I haven't looked, have you looked at the Raiders tight end situation? Uh, they have Darren Waller. That's all I know. And he's like top two tight end in the league. Uh, maybe right. three. Like he's right up there in the same realm as Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Like he's really, right. really, really good. Uh, beyond that, I don't know who they have. Let's see. They have. Oh, they actually have uh, Nick Bowers from Penn State, who they brought in last year. Uh, Derek Carrier, who has apparently been playing in the league for nine years and he went to some school I've never heard of a foster Moreau <laughs> who's played for three years out of LSU and Carson Williams, who was a rookie last year out of Western Kentucky. So, okay. So Bushman's got a shot. if he can be healthy. Yeah. It, if he can be healthy, um, if that's, I mean, that's the big thing. It's, I think the other, the hard part is for those other guys, right? Like it's, you know, you're looking at foster Moreau. He's He's coming into his player option. Year, right like he's going to be on the last year of his rookie contract good chance he gets cut because he's you know he had seven catches last year nothing mm-hmm. nothing incredible i don't this Derek carrier i have no idea how he's played for nine years because you know his career high was in 2015 he had 17 catches and 141 yards for the redskins <laughs> and so it's like he must be a really good blocker um if they're keeping him <laughs> around for that long uh, he went to Beloit College. It's in West Wisconsin. Um, I don't know anything about Beloit College other than it is in Wisconsin in the booming metropolis of, I guess, Beloit. Where is this? This is like southwest of Milwaukee. It looks like it's mm. right on the Illinois, um, the Illinois and what state? Wisconsin border. I've never heard of it. It's a D, I think it's a D3 school. Interesting. Um, but yeah, then it looks like, so Derek Carey, the, or sorry, Nick Bowers from, they signed him out of Penn State is an undrafted free agent last year, but he didn't play in any games. Um, so the honestly, the biggest thing that is going for uh, that is going for Matt Bushman in this situation is that John Gruden is insane and makes no sense whatsoever. And 
that the entire draft that they had of pulling these guys and like who they're trading up for to draft when they got Alex Leatherwood, like the Raiders don't make any sense. And so even though there's a lot of tight ends and it may not make sense for Matt Bushman to be the one that they keep, that may just be playing in his favor. And John Gruden says, well, uh, everyone else says they don't want him. So that means he's really good. And we'll take him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> John Gruden and Mike Mayock, man, like between the two of them, nobody thinks more of John Gruden and Mike Mayock than John Gruden and Mike Mayock. Yeah. And maybe they're right. You know, who knows? But uh, interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. So the draft was fun. I, I love draft week. I think it's one of the best times of the year. And it was really great for, for BYU this year. One of the, one of the biggest things about the draft, right. Is you've got to, you've got to continue to produce draft picks. And unlike most other years, I do think BYU has draft picks for next year's draft that are on the roster. And it's going to be guys like Isaac Rex. Like I know he's only been one year, but Isaac Rex went on a mission. He's draft eligible and teams are going to want Isaac Rex. He's big, he's fast, and he's been productive. He could be drafted next year. James Empey is going to be a talented name or a popular name. He's a very talented player. He's got to produce, stay healthy, but he absolutely could be drafted next year. There's a handful of guys we could probably name off, you know, nine or 10 of them that uh, are worthy of a draft pick next year if they can stay healthy and continue to progress this year. I, I think that we finally reached what Kalani was striving for when he got here, that he wanted BYU to be an NFL pipeline again. And I think BYU's there. I, and I think that's, I don't think they're always going to get five guys drafted and, and eight other free agent deals, but I think we're to the point that BYU should be expecting anywhere between one to three draft picks every year. I think there's that kind of talent on this roster. And it's going to come and it has to be, BYU just has to be a developmental school, right? Like it has to be the Brady Christensen's who go into it, the Chris Wilcox who grow into it, the Dax Milnes who are preferred walk-on who are into it, right? Like, in, or even was Kyrus Tonga, was he a two-star or a three-star? I think he was only two rated star. by one of the I think, services. Yeah, and he was a two-star. Well, because he, I mean, he played tight end for crying out loud. Right. Like he was so nobody. The development of and kind of the identification of talent has been phenomenal, right? And that's something that Kalani has been good at and frankly has been part of staffs that are very good at that. That's something, you know, if you look at kind of recruiting rankings to draft picks, that is one thing that Kyle Whittingham is very good at, right? Like Kyle Whittingham, especially like linebacker, well, basically the whole defensive side of the ball, Kyle Whittingham is very, and his staff are very, very good at seeing a very athletic two, two or three, like three-star kid with a frame and projecting them and saying, okay, we can work with that, right? Like, and we can make you something great. And that's, you know, kind of, that's what Kalani said he wanted to do. And so far they've done, they've done that, right? Like recruit on measurables, take your flyers and kind of just have to have projects that you're willing to work with. And if they yep. don't work out, then you cut them, right? Like the guys, like the Javel Browns, like the Luke Andradas, who it's like, okay, hey, you're really fast. You kind of have a little frame. We can see what we can do with you. Can you put on weight? Can you maybe move to a new position that we can fit you in? You know, they're coming in on their third season in the program. If they don't do something, they're probably on the shown the door because saying, hey, we took a chance on you, but it's not working out. Like, and we have to take that chance on somebody else. And that's just kind of going to be the way of recruiting going forward is, you know, you may not see an 
contribute immediate contributors right away. But at the same time, if you, you know, are a sophomore and you're not contributing by your sophomore year, at least a little bit, you're probably going to be shown the door to free it up for somebody else because you just have to cast a wide net and get as many athletic bodies in the building to find that one who can put on the weight and can develop and get stronger, bigger, faster. And, and this year, I mean, I, I'm surprised we haven't seen transfers yet, uh, but this year where the APR scores had a, like a, there's a little bit of a COVID reprieve. I can't remember all the details and I don't really care to look it up, but there were some, there's some leeway in the APR scores because of COVID this year. And uh, I could see BYU taking advantage of that. And let's clear out a bunch of space because we need to. Right. I mean, we're looking at, you know, potentially only being able to sign 10 to 12 guys as it is. So if you're only going to be able to sign 10 to 12 guys and you can get a free pass to cut, like, you know, basically every upperclassman who has been given their chance and just their, maybe they've been banged up and whatever, or maybe just they're kind of stopped growing or they didn't, their body just didn't progress like the way they would hoped, whatever, you know, if you can get that free pass at clearing up the roster situation rather than having to manage it for the next four to five years to get it under control, you got to do that. And so I think over the next few weeks is kind of the semester, I guess the semester's already over, but this thing's wind down. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this has been a good show, Garrett. I mean, it's been a lot of, uh, not a lot of tangents. We stayed on BYU football for pretty well the whole time, which is fun. You know, it's good to have those shows where we recenter ourselves and we, we focus on what this is all about. And that is Cougar sports. And it's especially good to have that now here. Cause here we are on Cinco de Mayo. We are in the very real off season. Like I know we've been in the off season for a while, but we're now in the real off season recruiting. It's done, right? Like the next big recruiting class is 2022. So there will be buzz and offers and a commitment here and there. Recruiting's pretty quiet, though, going forward. Uh, the season, obviously, is done. Spring ball is done. The draft is done. The NFL doesn't start until after the season is back. We're in the thick of it. The, and soon, baseball will be done. Basketball recruiting will be done. And we are left to talk about nothing other than the Athlon College Football Preview magazine because – that's how desperate we'll be for BYU content. And I, we're going to have to go back to, I'm going to have to go scroll back through some of our agendas to figure out how we filled our time last June. Cause it's feeling talk, pretty bleak right now. We talked, we had to talk about a lot of crap. I mean, like really, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at some of our, our June agendas right now. And we, we had one where we talked about sunflower seeds for a while. Oh, we didn't talk about my new endeavor. I am making a new endeavor. I am bringing back the lapel pins, like the buttons, the big election buttons that were like, vote Reagan, and you pinned it onto your shirt. I'm bringing those back. That used to be a thing, right? Like in the 60s and 70s, there were game day pins that you would wear. Some of them were just generic BYU pins. Some of them were game specific, but they were dope. And you can find them on eBay now. Sometimes they're the one inch ones up to like two and a half inch in, in diameter. They were awesome. I'm bringing pins back. And I think I want to do it for every game this year. So 
I have already placed an order. This is cool. I'm excited about this. And I, I hope I mean, that there's, you said you bought 300 of these, right? I bought 300 of them. I hope there's a market because I have 300 of them, but I think they're cool. We're going to, I'm going to sell for like two bucks a pop. Right. And we're going to get these, these pins for each game. I don't know that I'll do 300 for every game, but I am going to get some pins with a unique design specific to that game. So the first game I tweeted it out. If you haven't seen it, it's basically the Las Vegas sign, but with some give them hell, Brigham Cougs versus cats with the date. It looks kind of cool. And maybe I'm biased because I'm the one who's designing and producing these, but I think it looks kind of cool. And I've started toying with what I want the, the week two pin to look like. The Holy War. We're going to use our caricature Brigham Young and have some text about the Holy War with the date. I think they're cool. And I don't know. Maybe they aren't. Maybe people are going to – I'm just going to end up with a ton of pins left over. But I think they're kind of cool. Something different that uh, it's like you know you don't get a game program anymore. And you're not going to get it in a COVID year anyways. Like they're not going to hand stuff out like that. But you could get a pin. It could be like a ticket stub. You could put it on your backpack if you're a millennial. You could, you know, collect them somewhere. They can go in a frame for your man cave. I don't know. They're not going to be give them hell Brigham branded, though some of them will say give them hell Brigham. I think they're cool. And maybe I'm weird, but I think they're cool. So buy pins, I folks. I like them. I can dig them. So I'm all about it. Somebody's going to need to because I'm making a bunch. And, you know, we'll get them, I guess, I got to figure out how to get those up on the site and do these manual orders. But the, <laughs> yeah, we got uh, to figure that out. We will, we will figure that out. Um, so we do have a few Jets shirts up. We had a couple more things to the store. Hop on over to givemhelpbrigham.com and check that out if you are so inclined. And Jeff, it has been a good episode. I'm excited to f- hopefully finally meet you in person for reals for reals. We'll figure out and see, hopefully you're not a serial killer. Because I know I'm not, but it's to be determined on your side. We'll see. We'll see if we make it through the night tomorrow. And until then, give them hell. Give them hell.